but true mateship is being willing to sacrifice uh, and whatever that might be, put ourselves in a place of mild discomfort or perhaps real discomfort, but for the sake of their eternal more than comfort, but joy uh, as we stand before Christ at the end. And so, yeah, whatever that looks like, um, you know, under God and using whatever resources that are in our sphere of influence to think about who is that person? Who is the next person we can be praying for? And what is the next thing we can be doing to invite them in? Welcome back, everyone, to the Shock Absorber podcast. We are back in the Third Space studio, and uh, we have been taking a pause from looking at the history of evangelism in our series, Whatever Happened to Evangelism, to talk to a couple of friends about evangelism. But um, we last week we talked about youth ministry with Andy Stevenson, and I'm again joined by two people, but one of them has changed from last week. <laughs> this time we've got uh, Tim joining us again, as usual. How are you, Tim? I do very well, yes. Excellent. And would this time, would you like to introduce our guest? Oh, I would love to introduce our guest. Fantastic. Uh, we have a wonderful guest. Um, uh, <laughs> Did you forget her name? Uh, no, well, I wasn't quite sure choked, how I was going to start. You choked on wonderful. <laughs> a wonderful. I choked on a wonderful guest. Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> Jed Phillips. Uh, Jed, um, how about you tell us what uh, what your current role is? Yep. Uh, so I was working with Tim up until about two, three months ago uh, at YouthWorks and left for greener pastures at a little church called Janali Anglican Church. That hurts. That really um, hurts. Yeah. No, it hurts okay. me too. Yeah. You're sad to lose her. We were, yeah. That's no, it's, like, it's, yeah. it's big. It's a big loss in our team, but we are very excited about Janali Anglican mm. and uh, being able. To, and we get to still get to hang out because it's one of the churches that I advise. So. It's true. I just yeah. got some advice, like just before this recording. Did you? I feel completely advised. Excellent. That's good. <laughs> very, very advisory role. Um, Jen, tell us what you do. So you've only, you've only been in the role recently. Yeah. So started in January. Okay. Cool. So and, and then what do you? Uh, do day-to-day yeah. as children's minister. Yeah. Uh, so I get to work with the, the teams that we have at Janali uh, that deliver children's ministry in our area. So we have uh, a Saturday congregation with a kids' uh, church attached. We have a Sunday morning congregation with a kids' church attached. So I work with those teams and help the key leaders run those. Uh, we've just launched a kids' club because it's a really good idea in your third week on the job to launch a new ministry. So <laughs> I decided to do that as well. I like it. Uh, yes, and coordinate uh, SRE for the six schools that we look after primary SRE as well so yeah. it takes up the majority of my time while Fantastic. I'm hanging out at Janelli. Are you stoked to be uh, doing the new role? Yes um, I I loved YouthWorks um, and my heart is SRE and I was the high school SRE advisor for the diocese uh, as uh, pretty much mm-hmm. and um, and I loved it but I love Janelli Anglican Church mm. it's the church that I've been a member of for 27 years because I was a baby when I started there. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, wonderful opportunity to not have a split focus between parachurch and parish for this season, but to serve my parish that I love. So, yeah, it is great. And that's really cool. So, uh, I was going to ask you how you became a Christian, but mm. we're actually going to leave that for later because part of the story. Mm. But we are talking about children's ministry and evangelising within children's ministry, which is really exciting and I think something really important that we should definitely be talking about. As we discussed with Andy last episode, youth ministry sometimes gets pushed to the wayside occasionally and that actually in a time where they actually had a real discussion around it, it actually brought youth ministry to the fore and they're actually able to discuss it and actually find, not find, sorry, 
realise the importance of youth ministry. But that's why I think it's also important to talk about children's ministry. Mm. But before we do that, mm. you have a cultural artefact for us, which is really cool because Andy had one too. So it's cool today, I guess, to bring a cultural artefact. What have you got for us today, Jen? Well, because Joel and I have a bit of a history that goes back. <laughs> oh, you're so embarrassed. I was one of Joel's first ever bosses. Um, yes, at a little store uh, called Easy DVD at Miranda. And so that's where Joel and I met. Uh, I think it was my first job out of uni and you were still at school. Yes, I... Yes, I was just I was on the way to finishing school. Yeah, yep, that's, that's right. right. Mm. And so we worked together at this store. And um, so I brought the website. I went to the internet Wayback Machine and found <laughs> the 2005 version of the website. So mm. that's my cultural artifact. Which we did reference a lot when we were working there, oh, weren't we? The like every time someone asked for a title, like go on the website and find oh, it. Website. So Isn't it obviously had good... <laughs> had a good search capability anyway. Yes. Well, yeah. And it's it's an interesting one. I thought um, in the context of us talking about uh, evangelism and where we're at with evangelism, thinking about, you know, here is an artefact of a time uh, that is a um, time capsule of how we used to watch DVDs. You know, how, sure. we, how do we used to watch entertainment? Well, before, there was kind of like there were two phases. There was the VHS phase yeah. where you go to the video store and rent it. And then what happened when DVDs came in is all of a sudden rental kind of got a little bit kicked to the wayside because people were buying DVDs for the first time. So Easy DVD came in and said, we're not a rental store. So I don't know if you remember the amount of times people would come in and say, why can't I rent this? Or why don't you have VHS? Oh, really? I don't Do you not remember, remember this? Because no, I, I was there all the time and you yeah. were just there, you know, on Thursdays and, and weekends. Yeah, because in the end I was actually working a full-time job and then working on the weekends right. too. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, anyway, right. Um, yeah, and so people would come in and they'd want to rent and they couldn't. Mm. Um, they didn't understand the difference between us and Video Easy. Oh, but Easy's in the name. And so it certainly mm. kind of sums up this time when everyone, I'm sure we're all looking now at our DVD libraries <laughs> that like are just <laughs> – tucked away in a cupboard now because the world changed. And Easy DVD is a really interesting kind of um, metaphor for, you know, you either change the – if the world changes and you don't change with the world, you risk becoming irrelevant. Uh, and so here's a, here's a store. There were probably about 30 around Australia and now there are none. Uh, and it kind of lasted for that brief kind of seven-year window and mm. then they don't exist anymore. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it was, I, I wanted to bring it in because it was, it's fun to kind of remember when we <laughs> worked together back in the day. <laughs> but also kind of I've been thinking a bit about, um, you know, what you guys have been talking about with evangelism and how, you know, there's something happening with our response to evangelism, which I hope we can talk about a bit more. Mm. Um, but even like I've been reading Sam Chan's book and Sam Chan's book's called, you know, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy, which is a great book and I love it and there's so much practical stuff in it. But even the fact that we're saying we don't want to be that guy when we evangelise shows that there's something happening in Christian communities we think about evangelism. And so we're kind of on this cusp of what's happening with evangelism. Does Do we need to change the method but not change the message. A bit like Netflix had changed the means of distribution, right? We watch things online and stream it, yeah. but we're still sitting down watching movies. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know, it just kind of made me think. What do you think, Tim? Absolutely. No, I think the, uh, that transition between the, uh, the DVD video world, mm. which obviously we're, we're all old enough to remember that time. I remember, you know, going up to um, my local video saw when it was VHSs Carilla. and Carilla, a uh, <laughs> shopping centre um, and perusing it and that was how you watched mm. movies, that was how you consumed media um, and yeah the world radically changed, mm. 
my, my kids get confused between the difference between DVDs and the CDs. I just think it's, it's that silver disc thing. That, and, um, oh, that makes me feel yeah, so old. Because, and then, but also my, my kids don't really know what um, advertisements are for, except for those things before YouTube mm. videos. Mm. Um, and it really uh, freaked them out the first time we watched Lego Masters. Yes. Um, because we watched it live on Channel 9. I think it was the – they were I – mean, they're – 10 and 8 maybe at the time, they had never up to that point watched actual mm. broadcast TV. Yep. So to have to stop for ads, like, what is this? Like, why can, – can we just skip this? Mm. Can we just – what do we, what do, we do? Mm. Yeah, well, this is the time where you run to the fridge and you try and pour yourself a drink and then you try and get back to the couch in time, but you can't pause, come back, like, you've got to be on time. And, um, and yeah, the, the world changes. Mm. And because the world changes um, – there are different expectations, there's different cultural uh, mediums. And yes, as you're exactly right, Jen, as we think about um, evangelism, uh, it's, you know, we're telling the same gospel story and, and Stu and I, we've, we've talked about that the last few weeks with you, Joel, mm. that it's the same gospel story. It has been for the last 2,000 years since Christ came and said the um, repent and believe the kingdom of God is near, that it's the same message, but it will look different culture to culture, place to place, mm. generation to generation, time to time. Mm. Um, and so what we're trying to think through in this series is uh, what is this particular cultural moment, particularly as we think about um, our, our Western suburban city, uh, which will have resonances in other places, but will also have um, be different in other places as well. But... Um, yeah, how do we actually do that well? And how do we do that using the shock absorber, which is by listening to our young people who are at the forefront of cultural change, mm. who never know what a DVD story is. And, you know, just then as you were talking about the Lego Masters ads as well, our kids have not experienced ads that are broadcast rather than narrowcast. Yeah. So the ads oh, that yeah, you okay. get on YouTube are tailored specifically. Like I, I was thinking about buying a van just yesterday. And so now all of a sudden, all of my YouTube ads are about cars mm. because it linked to Google and it went, wait yep. a second, she's been Googling this, right? We're just going to, we're going to give you everything you want on cars. Mm. But when you watch it live, it's not specific. And I wonder if there's something in that as well for us when thinking about as we, we give the gospel message, it's not the once for all, one size fits all method because we're not in a one size fits all culture anymore. These kids have grown up with a very tailored culture you know you think about your youtube algorithm the moment my kids start watching someone play minecraft on youtube then youtube is full of minecraft replay videos right yeah. and so their whole cultural um experience is all of this is what i want to see rather than oh i've got to slog through inspector gadget before <laughs> i get to doctor who because that's the order on abc in the afternoon so yeah. i don't know it's just yeah interesting it's something definitely to talk about i mean uh i <laughs> Just thinking about streaming, like uh, we cut the cord at our house reasonably early, like two or three years ago, two, two and a half years ago, we we're like, oh, we just don't need ex like extraterrestrial TV anymore. Like is extraterrestrial, terrestrial TV. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> terrestrial. Yeah. Sorry, terrestrial TV, extraterrestrial <laughs> TV. We weren't watching That's TV a special from, kind. Yeah, from yeah. different planets. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now if I ever, like sometimes, you, you know, you can still stream like Channel 7, Channel yeah. 9 or whatever. And I start watching it, like Lego Masters, I just get annoyed. Like, what is yep. this ad doing here? Like, yes. I just get so yeah. frustrated because I'm just like so already to the point where it's like, yeah, uh, ads interrupting my watching oh. is mm. like, this is annoying. 
There's one show that Ros and I really like to watch um, and it's only available on the Seven streaming mm-hmm. app. And so every year the new season kind of drops um, and we watch the yeah, 20 episodes or whatever it is. And we are so frustrated by the end because it interrupts like a normal mm. broadcast thing with, with these ads mm. in between. And often the same ads. They're exactly it's, the same. And yep. it's the same ad. Yep. And then we're quoting them to each other as we're anticipating <laughs> the lines. But we get to the end of this of the season of this show and we're like, that's it. We've got to go back to Netflix. We cannot do another show with oh. ads in it. We, we have no patience left. Our life is so hard that we can't Our life is so hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yep, it is really hard. Isn't it? <laughs> Speaking of something that is considered hard sometimes, mm. evangelism. Yes. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> yes. The nice title. Yes. Thank you. The, t- the title of the season is uh, "Whatever Happened to Evangelism?" Jen, I'd like I think I'd like to ask you, what are your thoughts on evangelism mm-hmm. initially, yeah. and uh, perhaps how that actually works with ministering to children? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So. You know, I've been thinking about what you guys have been talking about when it comes to evangelism and a bit of like what I was talking about with Sam Chan's book, that we're a bit uncomfortable with the word Mm. and uh, we're uncomfortable with the word because we're taking on a worldly definition of evangelism or we have the image of whoever that guy is, if it's the Mormon missionary or the J-dub at the door or the Bible basher or whatever it is, is our awkwardness around evangelism because we're not taking on board the the definition you've been talking about, Tim, the the Evangelion, you know, good news Mm -hmm. that Jesus is king and like what um, Stu was talking about, that it's such good news and you're so overflowing with thankfulness that you think the best possible thing you could do is tell someone this good news. So are we forgetting the roots of what evangelism is, which isn't, let me sit you down, Joel, and I'm going to draw out all the boxes of two ways to live, you know, and it's just going to be me giving you a Christian diatribe. Are we forgetting, we get kind of going, having this caricature of the evangelist, when really what evangelism is, is an outflowing of our love for what Jesus Christ has done for us. Mm -hmm. And if we're so saturated by that love and thankfulness and just or inspiring joy that it's going to just flow out of us as we interact with people. Um, I don't know. I just think that's kind of been floating around in my head, the idea that um, I think there is some kind of image of evangelism that we're uncomfortable with, but I think maybe that's not a reflection of what the reality of what evangelism is and can be in our lives. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I was just thinking as you were speaking there, Jen, we have gone back a couple of times to the Barna study about mm. the you've got a significant percentage of people who know the best thing the other person could have is a relationship with Jesus. Uh, they feel prepared to have that conversation, but is the 49%, whatever it is, who think that it's uh, morally wrong to try and convince someone else mm. of to change worldviews essentially is kind of what it comes down to. Um, and uh, just as you were saying there, that, that, that joyfulness that comes from like the Jesus King is not, it's not just the intellectual exercise. So of course, we, having gospel outlines is helpful. Uh, it's not you know, the communication of just uh, cognitive truths, but there's this joyful life that if, mm. I, I not only do I 
think that it's the best thing that could happen to you have with the joy of Jesus. I really want to take you mm. there. Mm. I really want to take you there because I'm just mm. so excited about mm. my life with Jesus and the potential for your life with Jesus. Mm. Um, and that doesn't eliminate the social awkwardness and we'll, we'll mm. kind of talk about some of these things we go through as well. Mm. But maybe it mitigates it, maybe mm. it minimises them a little bit in that, uh, of course I'll talk to you about these, mm. these things that I'm excited about. Yeah, and I think... I mean, Stu talked about the cost of it, right? And there is the social awkwardness and we kind of, maybe that's what paralyzes us a little bit. You know, so Stu was reflecting on the other week, you know, being uh, a teenager who was on fire for Jesus. And it meant that, you know, the friend who became a Christian was like, don't tell anyone I'm going to be like you. I don't want to be picked on like you are. Or, you know, Stu's parents, when they became Christians, lost a whole network of friends. It is costly. Uh, And I, you know, I I had that cost in my own life when I made a choice to be all in. Uh, If I truly believed the gospel, then um, my previous career, I was an academic. Mm. Um, I was kind of on the cusp of um, being marketable, I suppose, you know, not as not that it's that easy to be an English literatures professor in <laughs> Australia. Uh, and even then, even more limited because my husband has a job that can only take us to New South Wales. And so very few universities that I could actually work at. Um, but had kind of this fork in the road moment. I very clearly remember I was um, teaching, actually Stu Crosher is part of this story. I was <laughs> teaching um, scripture at uh, Guy Mere High School. It was my first paid ministry job. At the same time, I was doing two days a week at Guy Mere High School and I was doing two days a week at Wollongong Uni. And there was a clash one week where the lecture I had to give was on the day that I was supposed to be at Guy Mere High School. And I told the board and Stu was going to fill in, calls me in the morning and he's like, yeah, a bit like he is at the moment. Uh, he didn't have COVID. Um, Jan, I'm not feeling great. You know, I'm like, oh, mate, okay. So um, thank the Lord that I picked up the phone and called um, my friend Cameron Hislop and I said, oh, you know, it's not your church, it's not your parish, can you come and teach a class? He's like, yeah, absolutely, I'm there because, you know, any chance to teach scripture, Cameron Hislop's there. <laughs> and um, I got him all set up in the school, got in my car and drove down to Wollongong and had this moment where I'm like, I'm leaving the opportunity to teach the Bible to go and teach this book, The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wow, or whatever it was. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's as good as it sounds, mate. No, it's as good as it sounds. It's just more how dismissive you were of it. That's, <laughs> that's what I was asking. Well, compared to the gospel, right? Yeah. And so I had this choice where I can be like, do I want to be all in on the academic life? and teach any book at any university in the world, Mm. um, if my husband was willing to up and root, and we did actually go and live in China for some time to to do that. Mm. Um, Or do I, you know, be all in and teach the words of eternal life? Now, I can tell you, I probably don't earn as much money right now. Uh, And so it is costly financially, but it's costly in terms of status. It's costly in terms of having to look my grandfather, who's not a believer in the face, and say, you know how proud you were when I got my PhD? Yeah, I consider that rubbish now. Like, mm. I didn't say it like that to him, but for the sake of Christ, you know, it opened doors, but that's really all it's for. I'd much rather be teaching the Bible. Um, mm. It's costly, but you do it. Yeah. And, like, yeah, Stu's talked about also, like, are we willing to lose friends over it? Mm. And I don't know if I, when I was younger, was willing to do that. But I think it's it's also something that we talked about even we didn't actually talk about it specifically with Andy last episode, but it is, there is a, a cost to actually telling people about Jesus and, and wanting to, to know it. I mean, Stu said in the previous episode that I'm willing to love that person so much that I'm w- also willing to lose their friendship. And that's how important their salvation is to, yeah. 
to people that are actually evangelizing in that way. I was just wondering, though, when we're talking about having a cost, how would that translate into talking to, uh, to children about it? Because mm. I think that's a, it's a, it's a very different conversation and it's a, a, obviously an age-appropriate conversation. Mm. Tim, do you want to start on that? What do you, what do you think about that? And is some peop- do some people actually say, oh, we shouldn't really talking about how there's a cost for children? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm still trying to think about it. Do you, do you mean, um, like, do we tell children that there's a cost to them being disciples and, and following Jesus? Is that yeah, let's mm. start there. Yeah, okay. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I th- I, hopefully good children's ministry is raising kids mm. to know that. Mm. Um, I think there's a danger in Christianity broadly to always paint the positive mm. story that Jesus is amazing, you'll never have a better life than this, mm. you know, everything's going to be roses kind of mm. story. And so there's the extreme version of that, which gets to um, prosperity doctrine. Um, but I think there's a lot of softer mm. versions of that, that even those of us who wouldn't say we're um, into prosperity theology would still want to highlight the good things mm. about being a Christian and minimise the bad things and not really talk about the awkward things. And mm. But actually Jesus is... Um, quite blunt about those things. He does mm. talk about losing family and friends, mm. um, counting the costs. Um, you know, he talks about you know uh, it's a fool who would try and start building a tower without counting mm. the costs about the building materials that he needs. And mm. you get halfway through building and you can't afford to finish it. Or if you're an army and you um, want to attack this person over there, you actually calculate: do you have the size and the scope to go and take them on? Um, if not, you count the cost and you realise, no, that's not worth it. Mm. And he uses that almost as a disadvantage to people following him, which is very strange. Um, I've never heard an evangelistic sermon use those passages to say, hey, <laughs> don't come and follow Jesus. Um, <laughs> but there is, it's, it's part of the kingdom story that it is hard. And so I would think, I would hope that good children's ministry is starting to build that in. I think as I reflect on my own ministry, probably one of the things uh, I do come back to when we talk about hard things in life, um, that not all of our friends will agree with us. There'll be friends who disagree with us. I think I do talk about that um, in scripture with my own kids on Sunday mornings uh, with the Soul Revival kids here. Um, so we will, we do talk about those things. Um, And one of my favourite verses is uh, Revelation 21, 3 and 4, thinking about sometimes the physical hardships like sickness and and COVID and death and disease and those kinds of things where there's no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Uh, But also relationally, all of the old things will pass away as well. So there's part of building up children into a solid understanding of the gospel is knowing that ultimately their their first relationship is with Jesus. Uh, They're ultimately a child of God, which means my relationship with them is primarily as brother and sister. Uh, Even my own kids, my primary relationship with them is as brother and sister in Christ. We're co-adopted into the God's kingdom. Um, And that will help me to be able to push them um, and encourage them to keep following Jesus no matter what. Um, many years ago, I think it was one of the first articles I wrote for YouthWorks 10 years ago, was um, called Teaching My Children to Hate Me. Um, and it was riffing off that verse where Jesus says, you know, some will hate their fathers and brothers and mothers and sisters and things. Um, and it was trying to say, yeah, what does it actually mean for me as a parent to teach my kids to love Jesus more than they love me? 
Um, and I can't remember what I said 10 years ago. I just can't remember. <laughs> that was a catchy title. And it's, yeah, we'll, we can chuck it in the show notes and see if anyone <laughs> likes it or not 10 years later. <laughs> see if I like it 10 years later. Yeah. Um, but that was the, it was part of that idea mm. was how do we actually help kids mm. to realise that their first priority is following Jesus no matter what. Mm. Um, and yes, it will be costly relationally. Yeah. I think I've wandered all over the place and somewhere <laughs> in there I may have answered your original no, question. That's no, really good. I just I want to get Jen's perspective mm. on that in terms of how uh, you're only relatively new into your role <laughs> at Janali Anglican, but how do we help children to understand that evangelism is important but also there is a cost mm. to that? And, it's, and I suppose there's also, I suppose, the uh, age appropriateness mm. of the way you talk about it with obviously yeah. as children are younger, there's different ways to speak mm. about it. I think first it comes with us being willing to count the cost and model that too. Mm. So I think that one thing I would dearly love, um, my I have two boys, one's 11 and, and one's just turned seven, and um, I want them to start being critical of the culture that we're in and be willing to kind of take a step back and see what our idols might be and how they're getting in the way. And so... Okay. I think, so to kind of give a bit of context to that, um, I learnt the most about being an Aussie by living in China. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> so why, why did you move to China, sorry? And yeah. Then why why um, are you saying that? Yeah, so um, we, it all, the university came first. So um, I, my PhD supervisor, I just finished my PhD and uh, an opportunity came back when relationship between Australia and China was a bit less frosty. Um, they got a grant to set up an Australian Studies Centre at Wuhan University, back when Wuhan wow. was an unknown really? city in the middle of China. And so now everyone knows Wuhan. Mm. Uh, and so we lived in Wuhan and I was teaching there and it was going to be 10 weeks. And I went, my husband came with me, um, my eldest was four and a half at the time and our youngest was seven months. And we thought, yeah, why don't we go and Easy. live in China uh, <laughs> for 10 weeks? And 10 weeks turned into a year and and a half uh, because while we were there we saw God just kept opening doors for us to meet um, English speaking Chinese people so I couldn't do I couldn't I, I arrived in China and I could say ni hao which is hello and I didn't even know how to say goodbye so I, uh, when I'd see the the man at the front desk of the building I'd say bye and I'm like oh man he's so rude he doesn't say bye back and I realized oh no I'm saying goodbye to him I'm not saying Sajian. And I had to then write Sajian at my door uh, so I could remember how to say goodbye to him when I walked past him every day when I went to work. Um, and so we were there and uh, it was an amazing opportunity to see uh, what God was doing in that city. Um, things are a lot harder now uh, for Christians in China. Um, but that's what we're here to talk about. I can talk about that another time. Yep. Um, but one thing I learned when I was there, I was in a Bible study with some Americans who were English teachers, uh, just like I was an English teacher because you have to go in and say you're an English teacher and not say anything else. And um, we'd meet at a cafe and our Chinese was terrible. Theirs was slightly better than mine, but we'd order something and invariably it would come wrong. And this is when I realised how Aussies are so different from Americans. We think we're pretty much American. We watch American culture. You know, I know all about the American mm. presidents. I know more about America than they know about Australia. Um, and then they'll get the wrong order. And because of the tipping culture in America, you know, you'll send it back and you'll demand the perfect thing in front of you because mm -hmm. you're an American and that's what you're used to, the level of service. I get the wrong thing and it happened to me just the other week, Tim, you wouldn't believe this, but Grilled, my favourite restaurant where we just had lunch, yeah. um, gave me not a low-carb bun just oh, the other week. And, and you and sent I'm, it back straight away. I did not. I, oh. ate, I ate the carbs um, <laughs> even though it would make me sick because I don't want to make waves because Aussie, she'll be right, right? And so one of the big Australian idols is... 
going with the flow, being laid back, not being that guy, right, and not standing out and mateship. We want to be mates. And so I think these kind of image of us as, as the great Australian mate being super laid back sometimes actually gets in the way of our evangelism. So these are the kinds of things that I want the kids in my in my church and my sons to kind of start stepping back and interrogating, you know, is the fact that we all want to be mates with one another actually getting in the way of us truly being mates with one another by doing the most loving thing like we've been talking about, Tim, mm. and the most loving thing is to tell the people in our lives the good news of Jesus. And because I don't want to lose that friendship because there is the chance that they might, you know, find that a little bit confronting and, oh, you're asking me to make a response. Oh, you really believe that, mm. you know, there's a God who is is rightly angry at my sin or there's, you believe there's such a thing, thing as sin that, yeah, that might risk us being your mate anymore. But what's the greater risk? That they never hear about Jesus and never have the opportunity to have an eternal friendship with God. And so, yeah, I just, yeah, these things kind of flow about in my mind as I'm thinking about, you know, all seven weeks in the job, (laughs) (laughs) the kinds of things that, you know, I I would like to help the young people in my church kind of think about. Mm. Have you seen any uh, response to that already? Have you seen that uh, possibly you're seeing that in the, the children that you're ministering to already? Are you seeing those things that you're thinking about coming up Mm. while you're listening to them, which is something that we spoke about is really important, is listening to the younger crew. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, one thing that I've noticed my son um, really understanding is which of his friends believe in God and which ones don't. And that's really interesting. That and This is my son who's in year two. And so he's been at school for two COVID-impacted years. Yeah. And then this yeah. is his first year that he's hoping we'll make it every <laughs> week this year. Mm. Um, and so he's already noticing the kids who sit in scripture and the kids who don't. And the kids who come back from scripture or from non-scripture and say, I don't believe in God. And so he's already seeing there is a, a difference where, you know, think about when we were kids in primary school, we were still in the age of, I think there was the age of, uh, and perhaps you've talked about this already, where the Christianity was, was, a, was a social good. You know, we're kind of thinking about 60s, you know, the busing the kids into Sunday school and back and whatever. Even if you didn't believe in it, it was a social good. Then kind of our age, kind of when we were in, in high school, Christianity was a social neutral. It mm. wasn't you know, it was just like, oh, you know, that's for you, it's not for me. But we've moved into a new age where Christianity is is a is a negative. It's you know seen as dangerous. It's dangerous, mm. backwards teaching, it's you know, think about the rhetoric that was happening a couple of weeks ago with the, the bill that didn't get passed. Uh, and all of the things that were said about Christian schools and all of the the, the evils that they want to use this bill to enable them to indoctrinate kids or kick kids out or whatever. And so I, I think that my children are starting to feel that, that they are different at a much younger age mm. than, than we did. You know, like mm. maybe I, I felt a little bit different in high school uh, as I was kind of being, you know, a bit like Stu, I think. <laughs> I think I was doing, I remember, you know, I was drawing things on, in, on paper and saying, look, look, here's the fence between Jesus and God and, you know, but Satan owns the fence, you know, and I'm like, it's not the best way <laughs> to evangelise my friends. I was pretty full on. Um, but, you know, so I stood out then. Um, but certainly my children are standing out at a younger age. Is that your experience too, Tim? Are you seeing that happening 
with children who are at least have Christian parents and are going going to church that they feel like they stand out earlier? Yeah, it's um, something that we have certainly talked about in kids' program. So, um, I mean, it's interesting. A lot of the spaces that I'm typically in, I'm with the Christian kids. Mm. Yeah, and, and even when I go to scripture, um, majority, maybe at least a half of the kids in my scripture class would be church attending with their families on the weekend and the other half would still be sort of Christian adjacent mm. um, and have some uh, connection with faith. Mm. Um, and and obviously the parent has opted them into that so they, they're happy for them to be there. So there's still some overlap there. Um, but we, we talked about last week actually with Andy the um, talking about the, the Venn diagram of like the, yeah. the overlap between the King values and, and Australian values and the pulling apart of those things. And that's what you've mm-hmm. expressed really well, Jen. There's you've got, um, yeah, you go back a, a couple of generations and there was such high overlap between what we would say Christian values and Australian values. Um, but now we've got this point where they're being ripped firmly mm-hmm. apart. And so there is a lot more standing out. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting as you were speaking, Jen, was that even in year two, not just that the kids who are in Scripture are like, oh, well, I'm in Scripture, so I believe in God, but the kids who are not in Scripture, they're being told by their parents, we don't believe in God. They go, oh, I guess I don't believe in God then. Mm. Um, and so both ways, it's, it's the family is shaping mm. the worldview and the understanding of the kid. Um, and when we do have opportunities with our church ministries and our kids clubs and um, these other spaces where we're actually able to interact with different kids um, and we're able to say, uh, yes, obviously your, your family is really significant and um, certainly, yeah, I've got a theolo- theological priority to say that the family is the key place of um, spiritual formation and discipleship. Mm. Um, but we want all those kids to also just be thinking, yep, this is a family reality, um, but you have your own reality within there as well. And so how do those two mm. things interact with each other? Um, it's interesting with my kids uh, who are at a Christian school, uh, same Christian school that I was at. Um, and for them, we talk about, you know, who would you invite to kids church or um, kids club? And for them, it's like, well, all my friends go to church. Um, and it pushed a little bit harder. That's not actually true. There's, there's quite a few um, non-church kids uh, there. Um, and so for them, the conversation is it's a little bit different. Is yeah, well, let's identify those who don't have a church to connect with already mm. and see if they want to connect with, with our church. Um, and then the other conversation that we have with them is uh, let's encourage each of your friends to be committed members of their church mm. because they in their local environment can help um, encourage others and, and build up their church and serve in their church and um, and I think that's part of maybe not the evangelism question with children's ministry but it's part of the discipleship mm. question with children's ministries how do we get them to to serve it mm. kind of wandering away from our topic <laughs> but um the family space and evangelism I think is is so much more powerful than we give it credit for as well and so I have a, a moment every year uh, where I think back there's a there's a wonderful woman who um, shares a, almost shares a birthday with me. My birthday is the 9th of February, her birthday is the 10th of February and every year Facebook tells me it's her birthday and I send her a little message and the reason I send her a message is because 
this kind of idea of the family space and a bit like what you're doing your kids, Tim, and saying, you know, who who do you know who, who isn't connected to a church? Well, this is exactly what my friend Diane did with me. And so I, you know, just by quirk of when my parents bought a house when I was six, uh, happened to be down the street from Diane. And so um, I kind of reflecting back on it, I see um, how she invited me into her Christian family. And I, you know, like I, I don't think they followed the same method, like the Sam Chan method is, you know, coffee, uh, dinner, Jesus, you know, it's kind of what Sam Cham talks about, you know, get to know each other's interests over coffee and get to know each other's worldview over dinner and then get to know Jesus. Um, I don't think they had that method, but pretty much, you know, like with Diane, it was like I had lots of play dates at her place and I don't really notice anything different. We're just playing with Barbies, like seven-year-olds play with Barbies and the only thing that really jumped out at me was they had more board games than I had ever seen in my <laughs> life, which now I know is a distinctly Christian thing. Um, I don't know about you, but we have a lot of board games um, and lots of my Christian friends do. <laughs> and so play had a lot of play dates and it was only the only time I really noticed they were different to my family is when I had dinner at their house and they said grace and here I am this kid who'd only been taught the bible in uh scripture class so never never god god wasn't mentioned in our house growing up the bible was never opened heard in scripture class I'd only ever prayed I presume in scripture class and then I'm at my friend Diane's house and they say grace I'm like oh oh, this God thing is something that you can do outside of Scripture. Mm. Oh, cool. Okay, here are some people who do it at dinner time too. Oh, interesting. And, in fact, once we even then played, um, you know, like we pretended to like go to work and then come back and have dinner together and then we even like – I think I wanted to – play a game where we like had grace and at dinner time and modeled it out with it because I thought this grace thing was so cool and then eventually um I must have mentioned to her that either either she came to my house and we didn't pray and she went oh Jen's family's different (laughs) quite possible um or I'd mentioned to her that we didn't go to church and all of a sudden you know over the course of a couple of years of friendship she's like oh do you want to come to church with me and because they had a spare seat in their car um they Pop me in it. And I went to church with them at Guy Baptist for a year. And so it was this wonderful kind of pattern of, you know, I'd gotten to know her as a friend. I'd spent some time with her family. I'd seen they were distinctly Christian. And then they invited me. And obviously I was interested enough that I went. And I went for a year. They gave me my first ever Bible. I kept that Bible. And even though kind of Diane and I grew apart, she went to the local Christian school. I stayed at the public school. I still had that Bible. And just that experience of a Christian family made such a huge impact on me that, you know, that was one of the pieces of the puzzle that when I joined youth group at Janelle Anglican, you know, three or four years later, I already had my own Bible. I'd had it because the Sunday school teacher at Gaimia Babs had given it to me. And I already knew a little bit about church because that family had taken me to church with them in their spare car seat. And so I'm kind of thinking about this for my, my son's friends and thinking, it's not like I'm strategically going, all right, so who is the friend we can have a play date with so we can get to know each other's interests and then, okay, we'll move them to the next box and we'll have to – no. Uh, but I am thinking that I, I, my dear longing for my son's friends is that they spend time with us as a Christian family, much like, you know, they weren't – my friends, I don't think we're on the agenda of, well, maybe that one day that Jen Clark is going to be a children's minister. Um, but God used that. So mm. having inviting that, that radically ordinary hospitality that Rosaria Butterfield talks about, it, having that with my, my son's friends, I think, could be part of the puzzle. Is that why, like, and using those examples that you spoke about then, is that why, and it'd be interesting both your guys' thoughts on this, why it's important to be making sure that 
even children's ministry is a priority because mm. as you said you 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 don't know when a seed is actually going to grow. Yeah, exactly. And so this is why, like I said to you before, three weeks on the job, I went, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to launch a kids club. Now, I didn't do it on my own. And thank the Lord that there were some wonderful women in my church who were passionate about their kids having a space to invite their friends as well. But part of that is the reason that I prioritised us having a kid. And we had had one previously, but we'd had COVID and a new building and more COVID and it just all fell apart the last few years. (laughs) It's not a great time. And even then we were like, oh, should we launch in term one? And it was only when I went, oh, I have two kids. This leader has two kids. The other leader has two kids there's six there's a quorum let's go mm. um but the reason that that i prioritize that and there's a lot of things you can prioritize your first three weeks on the job was because i don't think i genuinely don't think there is a better space for the kids in my local community to be than in a christian community on a friday afternoon you know and we think about what can they be spending their time doing we know you know the default of this generation is youtube or playing minecraft or worse um what a wonderful opportunity to open the gates you know the, the doors of our church every friday afternoon and say to the community but also to the christian families this is here for you we want to support you as you love the friends of your kids. We want a space where they can come to, where they can taste and see uh, how great it is, uh, the great good news of Jesus. And so, yeah, I think that, that having that space and having that, you know, that framework to make it easier. You know, you might not be feeling at this moment, I want to have people in my house, um, but you might be feeling, hey, I can, a bit like my friend, they had two kids and there was a spare car seat. And praise the Lord, they use that spare car seat to take me along with them to church. Um, Similarly, I'm going to leave here in um, how many minutes? Um, 30 minutes. And I'm going to go and there are two spare car seats in my car. And I have a friend who's asked that I take her kids so that that they can come to Kids Club this afternoon. And and we want to encourage the other families. When I got up to promote Kids Club, I said, look, pray for your car seat. And the kids are like, why are we praying for car seats, Jen? You're crazy. The old children's minister wasn't as crazy as you. And I'd be like, no, 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 not for the car. It doesn't have feelings. We want to pray for that car seat because that is an opportunity for you to have a friend from school come along and join us this week. Uh, this is an outward-facing ministry for you because we want to invite people in. And by inviting mm. in the kids, we want to you know, we want to invite in families as well. Which is why you're looking at vans on the internet <laughs> and you oh, now have a whole lot of car rides. Is that why you were looking at vans? hundred percent. Wow. The reason that we were looking at vans <laughs> was cool. because I, I've max, I have a, a Hyundai i30. There's <laughs> not a lot of room in my Hyundai i30. <laughs> so I was looking at a Kia Grand Carnival. Um, yes. Go straight for the minibus. <laughs> 12 seater. Yes. I was actually, idea. funny story, I was going to ask to borrow our youth minister's van. And my husband said, you're a bad driver. I don't want you driving his car. <laughs> oh, wow. Just give it back with a huge scrape yeah, along the yeah. side of it or something. That would be a bit awkward. Tim, what about um, your thoughts in terms of like if children's ministry is about planting seeds in your in your history, <laughs> your uh, research and your work and your ministry, what have you learned to say that that is a really important case to put forward for children is to minister in the way that Jen's talking about? Yes, yeah, so I think there's two things going on. So we do talk about um, planting seeds in children's ministry. And I think that's really significant that um, we, we're planting a seed, seeds of the gospel story um, and entrusting them to God that they will grow through that process and that we will continue to see mature faith 
growing in our in our kids and our neighbours' kids and now the the kids in all the different areas that we're speaking to. Um, but I don't want to just talk about planting seeds either because I think if you take that analogy too far, what you end up with is that um, kids don't really have faith, mm. but we're just planting the opportunity for faith that will be reaped in yeah, the teenage years. Mm. And um, yeah, we, youth ministry is where you see the conversion and where you see the action happening, but children's ministry is just getting them ready for youth ministry. And I want to say, no, that's not the case. Mm. Actually, um, children not only can, but do have genuine faith. Um, and so one um, sort of, I mean, I believe this theologically, that Jesus says, unless you want to become like a little child, you cannot enter my kingdom. So there is an image there of um, the child as an example of faith. Um, you have children being instructed in the pattern of the Lord through the Old Testament. So we have, it's been shown that that is where um, children are being incorporated into the people of God um, and a Christian um, or, you know, pre-Christian in the Old Testament. Um, they're, they're part of God's people. Um, and we can also see, as we've done uh, statistics and studies on people asking people, when did you put your trust in Jesus? And this is a question that's asked in the National Church Life Survey, which um, churches all over Australia do every five years. I think we're about to do it in the next month or so. Um, the, the, that's one of the questions is, when did you first put your trust in Jesus? And um, the, the statistic we, we quote most often is that 80% put their faith in Jesus before the age of 20 um, so that means youth children's ministry is really, really significant. Um, but that statistic actually hides the fact that there's a lot going on in the very young. Yeah. Um, and so the most recent statistics, 2016, was there was 19% who said um, under the age of five. So 20% of adult Christians are looking back and are saying under the age of five. In other words, before I can really remember... Wow is when I had faith in Jesus, mm. which means that when we're doing ministry to preschool kids um, and creche kids, we are fostering actual disciples mm. of Jesus. Mm. Uh, we're not just planting seeds, hoping that one day they become Christians, that these are genuine, actual disciples of Jesus that's going on here. Um, 13% said between the ages of five and nine and almost 24% between the ages of 10 and 14. So, when we, we, yes, we are planting seeds, but we should also expect fruit. Mm. Um, we should expect that um, our, our own kids are, you know, recognising what it means to follow Jesus in this age. Um, and that also that those who might come from non-faith families or non-church families, when they are, um, they, they hear the gospel, in a multitude of settings, but particularly in our kids' clubs and when they're invited to church or our holiday programs, and we explain the gospel to them, there's no reason to not think, too many negatives in there, there's every reason to think that they can genuinely respond to Jesus in that moment mm. and can make decisions for him. Mm. Um, and their faith looks different and that's okay. That's, you know, I'm a, I'm a passionate children's minister you know, I, and I love the fact that a six-year-old faith looks like a six-year-old. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't look like a 16-year-old or a 60-year-old. Mm. That's okay. They express it differently. They've got different words to express what's going on for them, but it's no less real for them in that space. Yes. Um, and so I think that that's, that's part of what it means to we, – we do want to 
um, evangelize children. We, we want to open the gospel to them, to share the good news, help them to see that they can repent and believe for the kingdom of God is drawn near uh, because they are capable of responding. And so I think that's really an important thing to keep yeah. communicating as well. And I don't think, I mean, the thing that often frustrates me about uh, when some people are talking about children's ministry, is it? It's often seen as an almost like a babysitting mm. service, and that that upsets me for two <laughs> reasons. Because my mum uh, has worked in childcare for the entirety of basically her entirety of working life, and she's always taught me to resp- like taught me, but also through her actions, like children deserve just as much as mm. respect and love and care and um, than anyone else mm. because they are our most vulnerable. They're also so intuitive. Mm. Like that's the thing that you're talking about. They, they, they realise that if they do have a faith that they are, they can be different to the, what's going on in the world. Mm. And that's why I really liked how you said, Jen, there's a way of... that We, we need to understand... It's important to evangelise because we need to help them understand why they feel different and what's going on mm. in the world to understand that well, sin, the, the world is corrupted by sin mm. and this is why you feel different and why other people feel differently to you so um just to encourage you both of you there like i just i love the way that you were speaking so passionately mm. about the way that um how important children's ministry is mm. i'm just wondering like if there are people listening to this podcast and we are talking about children's ministry and the importance of it and they agree and they say yes this is this is more Maybe we're not doing this in our church. Maybe we need to do more of this. Um, we do agree that ev- evangelizing with children is really important. What would you perhaps maybe give them um, as first steps to start changing some things? Because you already said that it's, was it three weeks in the job? You're like, I'm changing things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm reinstating something that was there yeah, previously. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. That's an example of it. But what, um, what else could we encourage mm. other people, even children's leaders that are listening to this podcast mm. or people that have not thought like this before and mm. they think, oh, actually, I love what, you guys are talking about mm. what can we encourage them mm. with to say like let's take the first steps yeah i mean i can run with my team you know the most whiz bang kids club there is but it's not going to be evangelistic unless the families of my church take it on board as an opportunity for the kids to invite their friends along so i think okay. but like and maybe that's because of of how i was reached um i think the the power of each family seeing themselves as this little this little unit with these spheres of influence into each friend network of mm. each kid in their household mm. and actually empowering those families to keep evangelism in the center of their family devotion life you know to be praying for uh, the people in their lives uh, who they want to invite along um, one of beautiful moment in my life I will never forget um, my my brother has five children and uh, his second born uh, Thomas when he was about two and a half uh, we were, I was visiting them up at their church or up at Linfield at the time and Thomas is in the back seat and I'm in the front seat with with their mum and he calls out Auntie Jen I said yeah Thomas do you have Jesus in your heart? <laughs> because he'd been told, you know, Christians have Jesus in their heart and he thought it was the most important thing that at two and a half or three or whatever he was, he wanted to make sure Aunty Jen had Jesus in her heart. And so how wonderful is that to think that, again, like you were saying to him, then there is a boy who at two and a half, three years old had faith yeah. Yeah. and he wanted yes. to, he was yeah. an evangelist. And I'm like, yeah, TJ, I do have Jesus in my heart. But the idea that um, 
to have that passion for the people in your life, you know, are you in the, are we equipping families to be thinking about, okay, who are the people in our life that we as a family unit want to be praying for, that we want to be on the lookout for, that we want to be inviting in? I think a statistic that really, talking about the Church Life Survey, Tim, mm. a statistic that really depressed me last time around uh, when we got our statistics back at my church was how low the statistic was on have you invited someone to church in the last 12 months? Right. Now, this is 2015, 2016. 2016 I, I'm yeah. presuming 2016 will be – it's hard to – this year's data, we just did ours the other week, is going to be skewed by COVID. Yeah. And at our church, skewed by the fact we didn't have a building because we did lockdown, building project, in the building for five weeks, second lockdown. Right. Uh, so we've had a couple of um, really difficult years. But that statistic back then when we hadn't had COVID, when we did have a building, was – frighteningly low and so you know if you're ever going to invite anyone to church the easiest invite like I experienced is the kid <laughs> you know come along and have a play date oh while you're here do you want to stay for church and in fact even when you get a no it's still an answer so I had a big no the other week we had a play date on Saturday afternoon our services on Saturday or maybe this was last year and I said to the mum and her two kids do you want to stay and come to church with us and she said no I'm a Buddhist okay but that no was great for us because now I know where she's at spiritually. She's a Buddhist. She practices. She has a mantra. I'm learning about her and where she's at. So even that no, and I think we think the no is the, the end, you know. Well, no is an answer. No is no because I practice this faith and now I can have a conversation with her about her worldview and her faith that I would not have had access to because she's not like she's wearing a I'm a Buddhist, ask me how t-shirt at the, <laughs> at the pickup gate. But now because I invited her in. I have that conversation with her, I know. And so, yeah, just thinking about how is the family unit, uh, how can we equip that family unit for as a space where um, we're able to encourage each family to think about who are the people in your life that you can be saying, you know, like my, my three-year-old nephew did. He's now 16. Uh, that's how long ago it was. Mm. You know, do you have Jesus in your heart? Yeah. Mm. I really like that. I mean, I think about um, that when my kids come to church, they they love it, and I don't want to say like, oh, look how good Sora Vulture is, but they they like look. It's one of their highlights of their week mm-hmm. because they're in. It's almost like they're in um, a situation. Even at school, my son's seven, and uh, he's about to turn eight, and my daughter's six, and even she is having had issues with friends, even at preschool and stuff like that. And I said, do you like coming to church sometimes because you don't have the same problems that you do with your friends? At school, and she's like, "Yes," and she's Aww. like, and then she always wants to bring stuff to show her friends at church because she doesn't see them all week either, which mm. is re- which is kind of really lovely. So, I just think that in that aspect to the things that you're talking about, how do you equip the family unit? It's important that we are gathering together as Christians ourselves mm. to model to our children that we need we need to be in fellowship with each other so that we can go out and evangelize. Yeah. The other thing that I picked up too on you saying then, Jen was. Um, it's also about asking the response mm. because we talked about earlier episodes mm. that it's not just a it's just it's not just enough and Jesus doesn't tell us it's enough to go and tell someone about Jesus we need to invite a response to Jesus as well and it doesn't matter what age they are mm. and I think that's what you're saying mm. Tim do you want to what my original question was <laughs> to people thinking in the way that we're thinking about a children's ministry is do we have a chat how do we how do we start encouraging doing the things the way that we think is important. And I do wonder if you can throw into that question as well, just the intergenerational piece, which again, it 
Sorovo we think is really, really important mm. to mm. be hanging out with different ages. Mm. How does that factor into what we're talking about right now? Yeah, so I mean, absolutely affirm what Jen was saying in terms of making those those family invites and the, the kid invites. Um, there's you know great stories of um, kids that we've had that had a, a birthday party sleepover for their, uh, that was their party, but they did it on a Friday night and um, all the friends, oh, you, you come to kids club um, and we all do kids club together and then we go home and we do the birthday party sleepover. Um, and again, it's just be, part of that is just the, the family themselves obviously has an outward looking view. Mm. That they, they want their kids, their children's friends to come to know Jesus um, and to and you know, for that also to be a family conversation with the parents as well. Um, and so they've structured things purposely around that. Um, so that's really encouraging. Um, and the, the other thing is you've got the kid who is just so excited by kids club or, or church on a Saturday or whatever yeah, yeah. it is, yeah. who is like, even if it's my birthday, I'm not missing this. <laughs> yeah. Like they just, as you said, yeah, your kids, they just love being at Sorovolver Kids, mm. um, which is excellent. And so they, um, it's, a, it's a highlight for them, so much so that they want their friends to come and, and share this mm. with them. Um, and so we do create spaces where um, the, the children enjoy themselves and they're learning about Jesus. They've got leaders who love them. Um, and as they have a sense of um, purpose, identity, belonging, they're able to identify those things in, again, age-appropriate ways and be able to say, hey, come here because these, um, these adults really know me and, and love me and care for me. And the intergenerational piece, I think, uh, is there's probably a few factors, but at least one is how are the leaders interacting with the kids? Um, I had this conversation with a friend the other day, actually. We were talking about different um, patterns, ways of thinking about children's ministry. Uh, from the leader's perspective. And one way of thinking about children's ministry from a leader's perspective is that it's this schooling type model where I'm the teacher um, and I'm kind of up here and the kids there down there and I'm communicating to them, I'm, I'm telling them the things that I know because of my maturity, my study, my age, etc. And they're, I'm the teacher, they're the learner. So that's one paradigm of ministry, uh, children's ministry, and that's got some value. Um, a, another model is um, called the pilgrim, the fellow pilgrim model. And this is where together we're sitting under God's word and we're learning. And what it means is that that has a bit of a radical shift in that when I come to do children's ministry, if I'm thinking a little bit in that pilgrim model without fully losing the teaching model, that's a much longer conversation. But as, as I bring a little bit of that pilgrim model in, um, it helps me realise that when I do children's ministry, I'm not the teacher, the like, look at me, I'm so amazing teacher. And so, hey, let's sit around and learn this together. Uh, what do you notice in this passage? What do I notice? What do you find hard about being a Christian? What do I find hard about being a Christian? And that kind of um, starts to uh, bring down the, the gap a little bit um, in sort of that natural adult child that there's a, an imbalance there um, born by generation and age. And there's good things about that. Um, but there's also something that we can sort of mitigate against because we are all adopted into God's mm. family. We're all equal there. Um, my most important relationship with him is brother and sister in Christ, as I said earlier. Uh, and so... We can bring that in and then the intergenerational piece to stretch it even further, we bring others into that as well. We bring the 70-year-old into the 
children's ministry space um, who may not be a children's leader all the time. They may not want to play dodgeball with the kids or <laughs> whatever it is, but they, they can share life mm. with them and the kids can learn, oh, here's, here's a, a 20-year-old who loves me, here's a 30-year-old who loves me, here's a 70-year-old mm. who knows and loves me. Mm. Mm. And what it also does when, when a non-church family comes um, they're able to see that they are known and loved by a variety of different people. We talked last week with Andy about, um, I think it was his hockey club and mm. his, um, his nippers club, and they, they wanted to use his family language, that we're a family mm. all together. Uh, and I think that's what an intergenerational church is seeking to do. They're trying to express family, which I said last week, uh, is not because we're just picking up on the latest craze from extracurricular activities, but <laughs> this, is the, this is the paradigm that Paul uses, mm. um, that we are the household of God, the family of God. Um, and it means, I know we've talked about this with youth services, like the idea of a youth service. If I'm a parent of a teenager, I don't quite belong in that space because it's pitched at teenagers and it's a youth service and I'm not a youth because I'm a parent. Um, but if it's an intergenerational space, then the teenager is welcome, um, the child is welcome, and the parent is welcome. And we had, even just last week, um, here on Friday at Soul Revival, we have a gathering in between um, and there was... a parents who were dropping off uh, their teenagers for the first time to youth group um, and they said they invited them in and say oh come and have the watch the gathering with them, like participate in the gathering mm. um, and when they come in it's on Friday night it's largely dominated by teenagers and children but there's a smattering of parents around and they're not the only ones and there's all that other parents that are around and they can see oh this is a place not just where my kid belongs but where I belong um, and I've got a space there and there's conversations that I can have as well. So there's some of the ways that an intergenerational space um, and church can help to mm. help the, the child feel known mm. and belong, but help their family feel known and belonged as well. Yeah, no, I really love that. And I think it's also lessons that we um, learned over many years back at Soravol Youth Committee at Gaimia was that well, let's put it on the most important night and then so we can always come back to it and then... And then so we have a, a, a Jesus-shaped community that we can go out from to evangelise. And I think those principles are quite similar when, we, when you're talking about as well. It's the same with children's ministry. It's like somewhere for the children to come into a Jesus-shaped community with different ages of adults around them to go, hey, it's, this is this is help us to understand why we are different in the world mm-hmm. so that we can go back out in the world and evangelise. So I think that was really cool. Um, I know that you have... Four children to pick up, Jen. <laughs> two of them are mine. Two of them are yours, and then two of them are, you are taking to Kids Club, which yep. is because we're recording on a Friday. Yep. Do you want, as a, just in a practical sense, mm. do you want to just tell us what your thinking was around establishing Kids Club so quickly and then, like, practically how you, you managed to decide to put it on mm. a Friday afternoon? Yeah, that, sure. And then, and then we can obviously wrap it up and you can go pick them oh, up to do cool. so. Yes, <laughs> to go to the actual. Yeah, so um, before COVID, when we'd had it, it was on a Monday and it was after school and we'd found that after, over the course of time, and I was one of these mums who would just send the kid um, and in fact, I was I was the, the chief of sinners. I had a friend um, from school uh, pick up my son and take him for me so that I could work until five on a, on a Monday. And so I wasn't thinking, I was using it as a program. I wasn't thinking of it in, as a space to be outward focused. And Monday just, you know, it just seemed to self-select a, a whole bunch of families from church who were just going because it's a good thing to go to. But Monday just not, was not working for us to invite other friends to. I think we were finding a lot of families, if the mum 
works a couple of days, works in the front half of the week rather than the back half of the week and things like that. So we shifted to Friday for a couple of reasons. Uh, one was that logistical thing of, well, Friday – you don't tend to have as much extracurricular on Friday. Some people still do, but, you know, not as many sport trainings and things like that. A uh, lot more mums don't tend to work Fridays, uh, so that was part of that as well. There's a lot of, like, I even remember when I was a kid, this, that's when you go hang out with your friends too on a Friday yeah, afternoon, Yeah, right? yeah. And the other thing is I was thinking in terms of a strategic um, all-in, you know, partnering with our, our youth ministry is all of our youth ministries on Friday as well. So thinking about how great would it be for a generation of kids to know from kindergarten all the way through to year 12 and then god willing coming back around as as leaders and feeding back in i have junior leaders who are in year 10 as well uh, who come into the kids club this is the space to be on a friday and if that becomes something that they they know over a long time so setting up the friday uh we also run it uh directly after school which is a bit tricky for us because we have you know some schools finish at 2 30 your kids are at the 2 30 school as all the men i schools are 2 30 then we've got some three o'clock schools and we have some 3 30 schools so how do you have a straight after school program that runs when we have an hour window and so Mm. one cost that we have is that you know kids come they trickle in from school whatever that might be so kind of from around five past three kids are coming but the formal program will start at 345 so that the kids are at the 330 school can make it it's a bit tricky then logistically in terms of us we haven't quite worked out having to have a a pre-team meeting and things like that as the kids are coming in some some of us are setting up things while other kids are being supervised but I didn't want that inertia of we've come home we've got to sit around for 20 minutes and then go out oh who could be bothered oh the kids are feral Friday, and I'm this yeah. is I think maybe uh, me being a mum and a children's <laughs> minister is really helpful too yeah, where I'm totally. just like oh that's too painful and I live next door right um, <laughs> it's, that's too painful um, how about we just come but also I'd love to again build that up God willing if, you know we, we have more people more uh, leaders but also yeah more interested adult others who could come along can you just hang out with the kids for this you don't have to be a kids club leader but come and I, I do have some older women who are doing afternoon tea for us similar thinking you know come and meet these these women who don't feel like running around with you they've <laughs> they're a bit past that mm. but want to be want to show that mm. they're interested in you and give up that time to yep. be around um so yeah just that thinking of the logistics of we want to do this on a friday we want it to be a space and i'd love to then uh eventually have some of that a bit like what you have with the friday gathering but some kind of crossover where between when we finish and the next youth group starts maybe maybe we'd have an all-in all parents, all kids, let's all have a meal together once a term mm. uh, and, and kind of, yeah, have that kind of space where mm. all people are welcomed in and have a little bit of a taste of what Christian community is like. Anyway, they're my ideas seven weeks in. <laughs> we'll <great>. see. <laughs> have me back, you know, when I've been on the job oh, more than seven weeks. En- I encourage you. I think it's great. You think of so many new ideas <laughs> straight off the top of just getting involved in the jobs. So that's oh, great. I had a good mentor. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Um, <laughs> Easy set up. I was your boss. I know. <laughs> that's all right. Um, uh, uh, to wrap it up, um, let's get some final thoughts from you. Why don't, Tim, you go first. Any thoughts on youth ministry and evangelising that you want to wrap up the podcast with and we'll give Jen the final word. <laughs> yeah, I, th- well, I was just thinking um, one of the things that um, I've spent time thinking about with churches and, and generally is one with um, Jen's predecessor and, and in fact the predecessor before that as well was uh, how to help uh, these, these kids' clubs, afternoon kids' clubs, um, yes, be a space where uh, the Christian kids can come and find identity and belonging and purpose and um, be enjoy being with each other, uh, but not stopping there. Mm. And and that was some of the um, the inertia that had been felt. Um, I know at 
Janelle and, and a, a number of other places that I've, um, you know, I advise and chat with is the how do we make it, yes, for the Christian kids, but also with an outward look. Um, and that's the encouragement we want to keep for children's ministry leaders and for families is um, I think that idea of praying for your empty car seat. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> that's so cool, it's yeah. a really clear example There's, um, to just think uh, how we're consciously aware of who's not there mm. um, and be thinking about, so who, therefore, who are we inviting? Mm. Um, and, I mean, we can say the same for teenagers. We can say the same for adults. Yeah, look around your church and how many empty seats have you got and why are they empty? Who haven't you invited? Like all of those kinds of things. But when it comes to the children's ministry world, I think, yeah, let's let's have these kids clubs, holiday programs, et cetera, not just as a space where Christian kids can come and enjoy being friends with each other and enjoy Jesus together, which absolutely they are doing, but how do we also do that? I think Stu's idea is the idea of you're holding hands and facing outwards in a circle, <laughs> um, something like that. And I think that's a really lovely image because it's we're here together, mm. we're – we love each other, we're committed to each other, and we're outward looking. Yeah. We're looking beyond ourselves to those who do not yet know Jesus, um, and we're inviting them to come and participate and to see what it is that we've got going for us. Yeah. Jen, wrap it up for us. Oh, please. okay, no pressure. <laughs> um, I, think, I think we've said it before, but the idea that um, the most loving thing that we can offer anyone is relationship with Jesus and telling them the good news of what God has done for them. Mm. And so what that looks like is going to be different for everyone. But for me, thinking about my sons and their friends, I just, I want the most loving thing I can do is have them be part of our Christian family in whatever form that might take, come over and have a meal or come to kids club or come to church with us, but taste and see that the Lord is good. Mm. And, and to have that on the agenda, and I don't do that perfectly. Um, we don't pray as often as I think we could for the people that my, my sons are friends with or for the, even the, the people in my life who I know and love who still don't know Jesus. Um, I can do that better. Um, but remembering that, yeah, true mateship, you know, the true, you know, going back to the Aussie Idol of um, the things, you know, we want to be everyone's mate. But true mateship is being willing to sacrifice uh, and whatever that might be, put ourselves in a place of mild discomfort. I'm going to have to squish four kids in my car very soon in my little I-30. Um, but a place of mild discomfort or perhaps real discomfort, but for the sake of their eternal more than comfort, but joy uh, as we stand before Christ at the end. And so, yeah, whatever that looks like, um, you know, under God and using whatever resources that are in our sphere of influence to think about who is that person? Who is the next person we can be praying for? And what is the next thing we can be doing to invite them in, in whatever form that looks like in our in our church, in our context? So. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. No, it was great. We had a really great discussion, I thought. Uh, Tim, also, thank you very much. As always, time. John. As, as always. <laughs> very, thank you very much. Um, uh, Jen, is there anywhere that people can get in contact with you if they so wish to about talking about these mm, organizations? Yeah. I, yeah, I think if you go to the Janelle Anglican website, it will have a link to my email address there. So janelleanglican.org.au. Um, I do have some articles, Tim, randomly on the YouthWorks blog, but I don't think they link to my new email address anymore. So Probably not. We, no? can, yeah. we can probably yeah. locate them though, yeah. can't we? I was just thinking uh, there's a great article there about praying for your car seat. Oh, that will be written very soon, Emery yeah. Rivers. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right. Are you talking to your editor there? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Well, fantastic. Thank you again for your time. Thank you also to everyone watching or listening online. We really appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe. Hit like if you're on YouTube. Um, you can uh, visit our website, chocolateabsorber.com.au. We can sign up for the mailing list. You can email me if you've got a question or any thoughts. Uh, which is joel at chocolatesorbit.com.au. You can get on the Discord channel where we can, we're can we starting to get some questions around what we're talking about. So get on that if you, you're interested. And, and um, as Jen, at every episode we finish with a one-way. So yes. you, you're confident in doing a one-way with us? Oh, it's a bit scary. <laughs> <Is it really? laughs> Tim, Jen, thank you very much. Thank you everyone listening and one-way. One way.